Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, I am Michael Ian Black. Welcome to Obscure Jude the Obscure. I am uh, presently ensconced in the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, my shitty little rat dog, Jack, by my side, a copy of Thomas Hardy's Jude the Obscure in my hand. And Jack really is a shitty little dog. He's a rescue, and he's a half mini pincer, half chihuahua, half shitty little rat dog. And we were not in the market for a second dog. We have another dog, a gorgeous golden lab named Oli. But my dear wife, who is so dear, is always feeling guilty about the dog. And when I say the dog, that's Oli. Because for all intents and purposes, we have one dog and one shitty little rat dog. So she was feeling guilty about the dog because the dog, Oli, lies about all day and gives you those eyes that dogs have that suggest that you are failing them in every conceivable way. So my wife and my dear daughter last summer went on a vacation together to France. Uh, my wife has a friend and she's got a beach house in France and they invited her and they went. And part of the deal was uh, when they went, I would then watch their dog. And it's one of these dogs that, that has like, uh, you know, kind of hair instead of fur and bulgy eyes that look at you uh, simultaneously in two different directions. So this dog comes to my house and uh, I, I have to watch this dog for approximately uh, a month, I think, as, as, as these people are away. And the dog just nestles itself into my fossilized heart. It just digs out a little space in there and warms my heart 
Uh, it's such a fine dog. And this dog and Oli get along fine. And after they pick up the dog a month later, I'm thinking, oh, maybe we should get a dog. Maybe, maybe that's, that's a good idea. And, you know, I have ideas all the time. This podcast was one of them. And the very first episode of this podcast, the very first thing I said was, this might be a terrible idea. And so when I suggested to my wife that perhaps we should get a second dog to keep Oli company... I knew even when I was saying it, this might be a terrible idea. And at the time, I wasn't thinking ahead. There was no forethought in that. It was just a notion. It was just a notion that I had, but I really had no plans to see that through. My wife, who is maybe better at planning and uh, actually executing ideas, gets it into her mind that I'm serious because I said it in a serious way and maybe I was serious in the moment, but she gets it into her head that, oh yeah, we should get a second dog. And then once she gets something into her head, I'm going to use an appropriate expression here. She's like a dog with a bone. So it's in her head that we should get a second dog and I'm away doing something glamorous, probably sitting in a hotel room waiting to do uh, stand up or something. I get an email or a text that says, hey, I found this dog on like Pet Finder. And I'm like, why were you on Pet Finder? And she's like, because you said you wanted a second dog. And I look at the dog and the dog's a shitty little rat dog. And I say, again, without forethought, I could have said, oh, that's a shitty little rat dog. We don't want that dog. But I said over text, yeah, it looks cute. Why don't you go see it? What was I thinking in that moment? Because I know the outcome of that. I know the eventual outcome. She goes to see the dog. She comes home with the dog. The whole time, she brings the dog home and she's complaining about what an ugly little shit rat dog he is. And she's like, oh, he's so ugly. I couldn't ever love him. He's not cute. Which is ironic because that's exactly what I said about my daughter when she was born. And that proved to be true. I had a very long list of requirements from this creature. So I was pretty selective. It had to not shed. Right. It had to be house trained, which obviously <laughs> didn't work out so well. Nope. It had to be a good temperament. Mm -hmm. It had to get along with people and children. It had to get along with Oli, the other dog. It had to be playful with Oli, but not too playful. <laughs> it had to uh, be well-behaved. It also, um, he had to get along with cats. Either this dog has all of these qualifications or he's not coming into this house. Right. And he has to be cute. He can't be an ugly dog. I don't want an ugly dog. I saw Jack and in the picture he looked cute. Mm-hmm. And he just happened to be, seemed to have the qualifications. <laughs> and I wanted to be open-minded and fair. So I was like, kept thinking to myself, he's cute, right? Like if you look at him in a certain way. And then the other obvious requirement that he does not check off is that he still shits in the fucking house. Oh, he pees sometimes too. So... We have this shitty little rat dog, Jack, now in our house. And by the way, Jack was the name he came with. I would never name a dog Jack. Well, why wouldn't you name a dog Jack, Michael? Because it's such a generic name, isn't it? Jack. Jack the dog. Subsequently, we have lengthened his name to Jack Jack, 
which is a much better name for a dog, but I really only call him Jack. And so I know that we are going to be stuck with Jack Jack for eternity. And I have to tell you, just like with my daughter, although I said I, could, I, I made the joke that that's how it turned out. In fact, in point of fact, it turns out I do love my daughter very much. And in point of fact, I do. I do love Jack. He's sitting next to me, pooping and peeing. We'll be back. This is Obscure. Here's a great company, you guys. Uh, driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody, Lisa is an innovative, direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that is also socially conscious. This is what's so cool about them. For every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. They also plant one tree for every mattress sold, and they donate 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes. That's pretty great. Right? No wonder it's a Forbes top 20 startups to watch. And with a patented universal adaptive feel, Lisa is designed for all types of sleepers. Look, guys, it's a great mattress. You're going to sleep really well on it. Okay? Try a Lisa mattress in your own home for 100 nights risk-free. Available in the US, UK, Canada, and Germany online with free shipping. This 100% American-made mattress ships compressed in a box right to your door. Or try it at the Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York City, and Virginia Beach, and over 80 West Elm stores nationwide. Get $160 off when you go to Lisa, L-E- ESA.com slash obscure. You're listening to Obscure. I'm Michael Ian Black, and this is the podcast where I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. Now, when we last left Jude, we learned the last time that he lives with his aunt, and the aunt basically said, uh, when she took him in, the way we took in Jack-Jack after Jude's parents died, she says to Jude, it would be better if you had died too. And that's exactly how I feel about Jack. It just would have been better if he died. And I can say that to Jack freely without really giving him any emotional scarring. Jack, it would be better if you had died. And now he he has barely lifted his head from the couch to acknowledge my presence. And he really seems unperturbed by that sentence at all. But that kind of uh, thought on a child leaves perhaps uh, some deeper wounds. And it is clear that Jude has suffered psychologically from these kinds of words, which his, his aunt has, has told him repeatedly it would just, and, and says it in front of her friends. Uh, oh, this is Jude. It would have been better if he were dead. So Jude has a job. He's a scarecrow, basically. He just sits out in the fields, Troutham's fields, and scares off the birds from when they try to get the corn. But Jude, being the sensitive soul that he is, eventually thinks to himself, well, why? there's plenty of corn here. The crows should be able to have some corn. And so he, he lets the crows have a little bit of corn. And then whack, Troutham, the farmer, comes and just starts beating the shit out of him and says, you know, you're fired. So here's the last thing that I read last time. 
Jude was pursuing his business of clacking with great assiduity and echoing from the brand new church tower just behind the midst towards the building of which structure the farmer had largely subscribed to testify his love for God and man. Troutham's beating the shit out of him right now. And so the next thing is presently, Troutham grew tired of his punitive task, meaning beating the shit out of Jude, and depositing the quivering boy on his legs, took a sixpence from his pocket and gave it him in payment for his day's work, telling him to go home and never let him see him in one of those fields again. Jude leaped out of arm's reach and walked along the trackway, weeping, not from the pain, though that was keen enough, not from the perception of the flaw in the terrestrial scheme, meaning just the way the world sucks, by which what was good for God's birds was bad for God's gardener, but with the awful sense that he had wholly disgraced himself before he had been a year in the parish and hence might be a burden to his great aunt for life. So he's just moved to this town less than a year ago. And already he has utterly disgraced himself. Just like within days of his arrival in my house, Jack had utterly disgraced himself. And he's concerned that he might be a burden to his great aunt for life. And I am similarly concerned that Jack will be a burden to me for my life. And Jack does not care. With this shadow on his mind, he did not care to show himself in the village and went homeward by a roundabout track behind a high hedge and across a pasture. Here he beheld scores of coupled earthworms lying half their length on the surface of the damp ground, as they always did in such weather at that time of the year. It was impossible to advance in regular steps without crushing some of them at each tread. This kid cannot catch a break. Even when he's just trying to walk home, he is destroying lives. I tell you, if I see an earthworm in my path, I will do everything in my power to avoid that worm. And I will tell you why. Not out of concern for the worm of which I have none, but because I am afraid of earthworms. That is a confession I've never made out loud, but it's true. Earthworms terrify me. Uh, like when you, when you garden and you're weeding or something, and then you, 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 uh, you, you pluck a weed and then you see an earthworm slithering beneath your fingers. I withdraw immediately. I practically jump back. They just give me the creepy crawlies in the worst way. And I've never, it's the whole reason I never learned how to fish because I was terrified that someone would ask me to put an earthworm on a hook. I can't do that. I can't impale a creature and I certainly can't impale an earthworm because that would require holding up an earthworm. And I cannot do that. There's something so grotesque about just a tube of living meat that I, I can't. I cannot. So, so uh, Jude, now burdened with being a failure to his aunt, a failure to his employer, is now walking home, crushing earthworms against his will. Though Farmer Troutham had just hurt him, he was a boy who could not himself bear to hurt anything. He had never brought home a nest of young birds without lying awake in misery half the night after, and often reinstating them and the nest in their original place the next morning. 
He could scarcely bear to see trees cut down or lopped from a fancy that it hurt them. In late pruning, when the sap was up and the tree bled profusely, had been a positive grief to him in his infancy. This weakness of character, as it may be called, suggested that he was the sort of man who was born to ache a good deal before the fall of the curtain upon his unnecessary life. (laughs) This Jude, poor Jude, his unnecessary life. Uh, Born to ache a good deal before the fall of the curtain upon his unnecessary life should signify that all was well with him again. He carefully picked his way on tiptoe among the earthworms without killing a single one. Good. On entering the cottage, he found his aunt selling a penny loaf to a little girl, his aunt's a baker, and when the customer was gone, she said, "Uh, Well, how do you come to be back here in the middle of the morning like this? I'm turned away. What? Mr. Troutham have turned me away because I let the rooks, oh, the rooks, not crows. And there's my wages, the last I shall ever hay. He threw the sixpence tragically on the table. Ah, said his aunt, suspending her breath. And she opened upon him a lecture on how she would now have him all the spring upon her hands doing nothing. If you can't scare birds, what can you do? There, don't you look so deedy. Farmer Trotham is not so better than myself come to that. But tis as Job said, Now they that are younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I would have disdained to have set with the dogs of my flock. So I guess that means uh, younger people than me have now risen up and, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have trusted their, their fathers with the dogs in my flock. So she has some derision. So she, it sounds like she's kind of taking Jude's side in this a little bit. And then she continues. His father was my father's journeyman anyhow, and I must have been a fool to let he go to work for him, which I shouldn't have done but to keep he out of mischief. So she's saying, surprisingly for the aunt, who seems like kind of a bitch, to be honest, she's taking Jude's side. And she's saying, it's my own fault. I shouldn't have let you work for this fucker. Uh, his father used to work for my father. Now I sent you to work for him. More angry with Jude for demeaning her by coming there than for dereliction of duty, she rated him primarily from that point of view, and only secondarily from a moral one. Not that you should have let the birds eat what Farmer Troutham planted. Of course he was wrong in that. Jude, Jude, why didn't go off with that task, with that schoolmaster of thine to Christminster or somewhere? But oh no, poor or nary child, there never was any sprawl on thy side of the family and never will be. So he's, she's saying, you should have left when the teacher left. In the beginning of the book, the, this teacher went off to university. Jude was heartbroken. He goes home to the aunt. The aunt's like, I wish you were dead. And now she's basically saying, well, you should have gone with the teacher. You're such a pain in my ass. You should have just gone with that teacher to Christminster. But oh, no. And then she says, but poor ordinary child, there never was any sprawl on my side of the family and never will be. I don't know what she means by any sprawl on my side of the family. I think she's saying, why did you get stuck with me? Basically because there was nobody on your side of the family, so I had to take care of you, like a jerk. So now Jude pipes up. Where is this beautiful city at? This place where Mr. Phillotson has gone to, asked the boy after meditating in silence. 
Lord, you ought to know where the city of Christminster is. Near a score of miles from here. It's a place much too good for you ever to have much to do with, poor boy, I'm a-thinking. And will Mr. Phillotson always be there? How can I tell? Couldn't I go to see him? Lord, no. You didn't grow up here about, or you wouldn't ask such as that. We've never had anything to do with folk in Christminster, nor folk in Christminster with we. So how could you, Jude boy, how could you, she's saying, how could you possibly go to the city with those city folks and their city ways? We never had nothing to do with those people. Very parochial point of view, if you ask me, and you haven't. But I did some traveling myself just this past week. I and my family left Oli and our shit rat dog, Jack-Jack, and we found ourselves on a cruise ship sailing away, sailing south to beautiful Mexico, left from San Diego and spent a week aboard the Oosterdam, which is a Holland America line ship. Now, you would probably think if you have thought about me at all in relationship to getting on a boat with strangers for a week, you would probably think to yourself, Michael Ian Black, that sounds like a personal kind of hell for you. Well, I have to tell you something. This is now the fourth cruise I have been on. And what I have discovered about myself, much to my own shock, by the way, is that I love being on cruises. I love it. I adore it. Now, this particular cruise I was invited to be a part of. So I, I've never paid for a cruise. I, I'm always getting hired to sort of show up on pe other people's cruises and put in minimal amount of work for generally a uh, minimal amount of money. But what you get out of the deal is kind of a free vacation. And so I go. Now, this particular cruise is sponsored by a guy named Jonathan Colton, who many of you probably know from the internet. He's a musician who built a following on the internet and now is sort of this culty, nerd-rocky guy who writes sort of bittersweet but funny songs about robots and squids. And so he does this cruise every year with these other two guys named Paul and Storm, who are also a kind of comedy duo in the vein of They Might Be Giants. And they invite all their performer friends and you go on this boat and then you spend a week watching your friends do shows and they have panels and then they have people playing board games all day. There's a thriving board game industry out there and that's a big component of this cruise. There's lectures. There's all kinds of things, all kinds of fun events geared to people who would enjoy nerd rock. And it was fantastic. It was so great. I love being on a boat. I love looking out from my bed upon endless expanses of water. And I, 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 I like Mexico a lot. Um, obviously, you know, we're just going into port towns, so you're not really seeing Mexico, but I've seen a little bit of Mexico now and I think it's terrific. And here, here really was the best part for me. Starting at 11.30 a.m. until about 11.30 p.m. On board, every day, Taco Bar. All you can eat, Taco Bar. Now, in some of my earlier work, I've written extensively about tacos. In my first collection of essays entitled My Custom Van and 50 Other Mind-Blowing Essays That Will Blow Your Mind All Over Your Face, I have uh, an entire essay entitled Taco Party. So I consider myself something of a taco aficionado. And when I say to you these were the most delicious tacos I've ever had, I would be telling a lie. But I'm going to say it anyway, because they were free 
and they were abundant and they were make your own and they were quite good. I didn't even have that many of them, but just the knowledge that essentially at any time of day or night, I could go up to the Lido deck and it was called the Lido deck. Deck nine, I could go up to the Lido deck and help myself to tacos, hard shell or soft shell with a variety of meats or vegetarian and obviously all the fixings that you would want for a taco. And I could do that at my own discretion. The Lido deck, poolside, my God, the knowledge right now that that was even a possibility is getting me semi-erect. So we got back a couple days ago and I missed the boat terribly. There's just something about being on the water, man. There's just something about being out there, the gentle rocking, the quote unquote motion of the ocean that is just so soothing. And we had just as a family, we had a great time and uh, I miss it. Back to Jude the Obscure. He, he, he just asked if you could go to Christminster, which for, uh, for our intents and purposes, let's call Cabo San Lucas. And she's saying, why, why would you go to Cabo? We have nothing in common with those folks from Cabo and they have nothing in common with us. Perhaps not, but you can get human growth hormone just over the counter at the pharmacy. <clears throat> Jude went out and feeling more than ever his existence to be an undemanded one. <laughs> I love this. I love how Thomas Hardy is just beating this into the ground. Jude is nothing. Jude is unwanted, unloved, unnecessary, and his existence now undemanded. He lay down upon his back on a heap of litter near the pigsty. Of course. The fog had by this time become more translucent, and the position of the sun could be seen through it. He pulled his straw hat over his face and peered through the interstices. Interstices? I-N-T-E-R-S-T-I-C-E-S. Interstices. Of the plating, I guess in his hat, at the white brightness, vaguely reflecting. Growing up brought responsibilities, he found, Events did not rhyme quite as he had thought. Nature's logic was too horrid for him to care for. That mercy towards one set of creatures was cruelty towards another sickened his sense of harmony. As you got older and felt yourself to be at the center of your time and not at a point in its circumference as you had felt when you were little, you were seized with a sort of of shuddering, he perceived. All around you, there seemed to be something glaring, garish, rattling, and the noises and glares hit upon the little cell called your life and shook it and warped it. And that is, that is a beautiful sentiment, a kind of uh, morbid and, and sad sentiment. And I'd like to point out that in my copy of Jude the Obscure, which is my wife's old copy. It's underlined. This whole thing is, is underlined in a kind of brownish pencil. Now, this is the first time I've seen any underlining at all. And I wonder why she underlined it, if it was for class and they told her to do that, or if it just struck her as, as important. But it does strike me as important too. And it seems true, doesn't it? That when you're very little, you do feel yourself at a point in time circumference, meaning you just sort of feel on the edges of time. You don't feel that you yourself are a part of this world that is swirling around you. But then as you get older, there's something 
glaring, garish rattling, and the noises and glares hit upon the little cell called your life and shake it and warp it. That's, I mean, that's just good writing right there. Thomas Hardy, no wonder you're still in print. We're going to take another break back in a moment here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Oh, Earwolf friends. You know Jonathan Van Ness, right? From Queer Eye. He also has a podcast, guys, called Getting Curious. I would like it if he called it Getting Ub Curious, but he's just calling it Getting Curious. And it is available right here on Earwolf. Join him for the journey as he talks to experts in their fields and has in-depth, eye-opening conversations about topics like saving bees with a biology professor or learning how to do triple axles with Olympian Mirai Nagasu. And after you have, you're done binge-watching season two of Queer Eye, which just came out on Netflix, you can get to know a different side of Jonathan's co-stars with past episodes that feature Antoni Porowski and Caramo Brown. I know I'm getting their names wrong. Please stop yelling at me. I have heard it's great. This week on Getting Curious, Queer Eye fashion expert Tan France is the star guest on an extra special episode. Subscribe to Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Welcome back to Obscure and back to Jude the Obscure, Chapter 2. If he could only prevent himself growing up, he did not want to be a man. Then, like the natural boy, he forgot his despondency and sprang up. During the remainder of the morning, he helped his aunt, and in the afternoon, when there was nothing more to be done, he went into the village he asked, here he asked a man whereabouts Christminster lay. Christminster? Oh, well, out by there yonder, though I've never been there. No, not I. I've never had any business at such a place. It's, a, it's literally a score of miles away, and these people act as if it is Timbuktu, or let's say Cabo San Lucas from the wilds of Connecticut. It is attainable. You could get in your wagon and go to Christminster, you fools. 
the man pointed northeastward in the very direction where lay that field in which Jude had so disgraced himself. There was something unpleasant about the coincidence for the moment, but the fearsomeness of this fact rather increased his curiosity about the city. The farmer had said he was never to be seen in that field again, yet Christminster lay across it, and the path was a public one. So stealing out of the hamlet, he descended into the same hollow which had witnessed his punishment in the morning, never swerving an inch from the path, and climbing up the long and tedious ascent on the other side, till the track joined the highway by a little clump of trees. Here the ploughed land ended, and all before him was bleak open down. And that is the end of chapter two. So it looks as if Jude has decided to take his uh, great aunt's advice and depart from Mary Green, where he really has nothing. He has an unloving relative, and he has no employment, and he has no future. And he has decided to just set out for Christminster, a place as alien and foreign to him as as perhaps uh, Cabo San Lucas was to me less than uh, two weeks ago. Now, my fortunes in Cabo San Lucas were good. I want. I went there, and I had one of the best meals of sushi I have ever had. Will Jude's fortunes be similar? I don't know. I suspect things uh, are going to get worse for Jude before they get better, but we shall see. Join me again next time here at the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library for another reading from Jude the Obscure here on Obscure. My shit dog, Jack, and I will be waiting. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at Earwolf.com and be sure to subscribe to Obscure in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you've heard, please write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what you've heard, take it up with Thomas Hardy. Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedron. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor. If you would like information about sponsoring our show, email hello at midroll.com. From the wilds of Connecticut, I'm Michael Ian Black. This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que no está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> 
Spanish Aquí Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. O donde sea. Spanish Aquí Presents. <laughs> 